0: And welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name's Steve Barrett, I'm the editorial director of PR Week, going to guide you gently through another show back from Davos hanging around with the super elites and the people that matter in the globe it's not quite as glamorous when you're uh, on my level <laughs> traipsing around the streets managed to fall over and do my knee in on the ice there but uh, it was uh, it's always fun to be there and interesting you know you've got 50 60 heads of state you've got hundreds of ceos you've got non-profits you've got all sorts of people loads of chief communications officers and a few marketers as well this year, and even some advertising folks. So uh, we'll get into some of that, and, and we did a big, uh, obviously, focus on it last week. But uh, I'm here with my co-host, Frank Washgook. How are you doing, Frank? I'm doing doing well. Glad to be here. What are you thinking on the old uh, Super Bowl, last four? Oh,
1: well, I'm I'm the wrong person to ask, because I, I told a lot of people I thought it was Buffalo's year, and it's it's not Clearly Buffalo's not. year. So not. Uh, so I, I you should probably ask somebody else I'm I, shouting I for the
0: Detroit Lions my friend. yeah,
1: I think a lot of people are That's a good story
0: yeah that's love, a good story. Love, I know. love Detroit. I always followed them from the start um, just because of of Detroit and they never did anything and they finally got a and decent they have a,
1: they have a really good uh, home crowd advantage
0: yeah. Yeah, so absolutely. I, I love. A it. lot of
1: people would like to see them
0: go. Yeah, I love their fans. So uh, we'll um, we'll get into uh, newsy topics. The state of diversity in PR. We've released a, a batch of content this morning as we're recording. A bunch of really interesting people moves, as always. Kite baby, as uh, in crisis, and we'll we'll analyse how the CEO responded to that. We'll just do a bit more of a Davos wash up and some interesting comments by Richard Edelman. He's doing his tour of the. Trust Barometer, and Havas, its B-Core status may be at risk. But first of all, let's introduce our guest. It's AJ Jones. He's EVP, Chief Communications and Public Affairs Officer at Starbucks. And AJ, it's fantastic to have you on the show. Welcome. Hey, it's nice to be on the show,
2: Steve, and welcome
0: back from Davos.
2: And I'm glad that it was an incredible trip, and more importantly, that you had the impact in order to be able to drive this Conversation and more importantly, this perspective forward. So, thanks so much for having me, my good friend.
0: Yeah, it was it was interesting. You know, there's a, some people think of it as just a talking shop, but there's the, the amount of people there who, you know, drive global business and politics. It's, it, it, it is an important gathering, and they can do meetings there. In three or four days, that it would take them twelve to eighteen months to organise, and they'd have to fly all the way around the world. So this there's <laughs> obvious criticisms of them all coming in on the private jet and the helicopters and all that. But you could pos- possibly say that it, it saves in the long term. But anyway, that's that's another discussion. Let's chat about you, AJ, because you've got a a nice promotion at Starbucks, and you brought in a new chief communications officer, and a kind of restructured restructured the way you're doing things. So talk us through it. We'll, really interested to hear about it
2: yeah no well first of all thank you all so much for for covering it and more importantly for um the support over the many of years i'm an avid reader and fan of pr week and more importantly of your work and so for me as you know i joined the company uh, in 2021 and i uh, i've had the pleasure of working under three different ceos kevin johnson uh howard schultz and now uh lakshmanira saman and one of the things that they look to do um, as we are now into the phase of what we call of our triple pump strategy or our reinvention strategy is how do we position both talent and resources and capacity to truly be an even more expansive company that we currently are. As you know, we're in 86 markets across the globe. We have almost 40,000 stores. The majority of our stores actually are outside of the U.S. And more importantly, as our brand is becoming a bellwether, if you will, from everything from uh, consumer discretionary to um, the way in which the culture, if you will, moves. It puts a unique set of uh, pressures and and insights, if you will, on the role of communications and the way in which the brand also is communicated and engaged with. And so one of the unique things is that uh, Lachman, under his leadership and also the board and others, uh, they sought to take my role and create a new role and also give me some ex- some expanded responsibilities, uh, if you will, there within. And so one of the things that we decided to do was we brought in an incredibly talented uh, new chief communications officer, EVP person that I think, you know, very well, too, as well. Dominique Carr, who's yeah. you know, coming to us from Lyft. You know, you can't ask for a, a better person and a better leader. And autistic purposes in reference to it. And used I think to for, mic-
0: Used to be at Microsoft?
2: Yeah, he used to be at Microsoft. And so he knows the ways, knows the paths, and he knows how to find us, right? He's right down the street. So <laughs> uh, you know, it all kind of worked out pretty well. And we just literally kicked off our partnership together on Monday. And so he is EVP reporting into uh, Lakshman, and he will be over um, international communications, partner communications, which is our. um, and what we call partner-employee communications, and which are are, you can also say is internal. And then also he's over corporate communications, crisis communications. So he has the communications remit. And then I, as the chief corporate affairs officer, um, have all the social impact work, all of our community impact work. I also have our alumni work, our government affairs and public policy work, as well as they've asked me to, Take on a key and strategic role in helping to advance our business in international and emerging markets, and so uh, in many respects, it's less of a promotion and much more of a unique expansion and new role creation that's happening in the company too as well. Which I think that's the exciting part, and it's lifting up three of the pieces in our reinvention plan. One is to elevate the brand. Two is to be able to truly become more global. And three is to be able to reinvigorate our partner culture. And so with that, I've also promoted a woman by the name of Kelly Goodyjohn, who is going to be our new uh, chief social impact officer. And so there's a lot of new elements and movements that are becoming and we're we'll be building this team out um, over the next few months, if you will, to drive against this remit. And so it's going to be exciting.
0: Yeah, what does it mean on a day-to-day basis, AJ? You know, how's the job gonna change for you in terms of? Does it mean spending more time in DC? Does it spend? Will you get? I mean, you're on the road a lot anyway, so yeah. But give us a flavor of that. <laughs> I think people like to know, you yeah, know yeah, what yeah. the what, what, what jobs involve.
2: Absolutely, in, in four fundamental ways. So one is um, both Dominic, Dominic, and I. Will have a very, very close working relationship. So, because you know that the two are linked together, right? If, if you think mm-hmm. about it. Um, and so that will be, but it will be a partnership where how we do the handoffs um, in reference to not only the work, but also the reputation of the company will be part and parcel. So, one change will be that we will, we have uh, what's called a global brand council, which will now govern and harmonize the brand. Globally, So if you think about it, Starbucks, we have wholly owned stores. We have stores that are also licensed. And then we have all types of other partnerships that we have, whether it's with Delta or with other types of companies. And thinking about how the brand is represented in a consistent way, promoted and also communicate in a consistent way and then represented with our stakeholders is something that's going to be there. So I will be spending a lot more time, if you will, engaging with stakeholders globally and then also clearly in the U.S., but in all of our country cap or national, national capitals across the globe. And then also the second piece will be the way in which it works in terms of how we're gonna be lifting up our connection and responsibility around social impact. As you know, within the social impact structure at Starbucks that also includes our foundation. So thinking through differently about our investments, where those investments go, how do they align, if you will, to illustrate the work that we do going forward and more importantly, the way in which um, that brings to life our promises, which you I know you're familiar with, um, <clears throat> and leaning, leaning against our values. And so you'll see a lot more activity, both in terms of the social media side of that, but then also on the traditional media side of that, as well as our investments in the communities um, there. The third piece that you also see, uh, too, as well on day-to-day is me working, Not that I haven't before, with our with our leadership colleagues, but working more strategically around areas, say, for instance, when we're working with our supply chain uh, leaders, how do we think about that in terms of driving social impact through those areas? How do we think about that in terms of thinking around the community impact work that we will do? So um, that would be less of a travel intensity and much more of a focus intensity around the what we call the integration of our work and how our work comes to life. And then the last piece is truly being um, leaders and thought leaders, if you will, around areas of government engagement and public policy and using public-private partnerships to be able to drive our business much more efficiently and more effectively. And, And that is really thinking about coalition building and also positioning, if you will, with various entities Um, and institutions to be able to drive our business going forward. So, yeah, it's it definitely is in my wheelhouse. And as you know from my background, that's been a a space that I've had uh, enormous amount of experience in. And then also, like I said, bringing uh, Dominic on board allows for us to be able to do this with a level of intensity and capacity that, you know, quite frankly, the, the, the day and the age is calling for.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we can get into ESG a bit more later when we talk about the topical subjects. Interesting, you mentioned public-private partnerships, because that was a big topic at Davos, actually, because especially at the Edelman Trust Barometer launch, where they're looking at business being, you know, the most trusted in- institution. But okay, how, do, how does business utilize that in terms of its partnerships with government and nonprofits and other organizations to bring that trust and make things better? and improve the general social climate because it's very diverged at the moment, isn't it? So that's interesting Mm. that you're going to be in charge of that and and look forward to um, hearing more about that. But we want to know about the Stanley Cup, AJ. That's what we really want to know about. I I was waiting for
2: you to show me that you had yours. Did you get your (laughs) pink one or no? What what are we doing here? Not yet. Not yet. (laughs) But
0: this is just taken off like crazy, hasn't it? For those who don't know, tell us what the uh, what you, Starbucks is doing and teaming up to. Yeah, you know, we,
2: we, we've had this unique partnership with, with Stanley Cup and uh, we released um, one prior to the pink one, we released the red one, and that one flew off the shelves too as well. Literally. I mean, I think literally um, it just shows the the brand strength and the uniqueness of when partnerships come alive. You know, the Starbucks brand has an elasticity um that is quite unique. I mean, we can show up whether it be at the Grammys in terms of our efforts and engagement and supporting artists to stand on a, on a Stanley Cup, and nobody blinks an eye and thinks that that's uh, you know unusual or 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 unique or out of sorts. And I think what that what that means is because we are a place where people can highly personalize, um, mm-hmm. if you will, what they take from us and what they engage with us from a beverage standpoint. And that personalization gives you an intimacy where you can be a lot of different things to a lot of different people. In the cup, I mean, all to the purposes. You know this, Steve. You are what you drink out of, right? And so, <laughs> and we've made a we've made a business off of that. I mean, there's the reason why our cup is iconic. It's because holding it in many respects is also a, re- a reflection of not only one's um, elevation and direction in life, but more importantly, quite frankly, their the way in which they see themselves in the world. And so we want to be a part of that. And so Stanley has just literally allowed for us to be able to do that in ways that we could have never imagined before.
0: Yep. It drives buzz, it drives people in store, it makes sells more coffee. It gets it's, it's a win 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 win, isn't it? So uh, uh,
2: absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and sure. you know, and, and we had this great partnership with Target in order to be able to distribute those. So so that's been wonderful. And and um, and so this has been a great, great experience.
0: Yeah. Now, t- 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 turning to more serious topics, yeah, labor relations, I think, has been a been massive topic for m- many communicators over the past 12 to 18 months. And clearly, Starbucks has been one of them. How yep. does that uh, play into your day to day and how will that moving forward? Is that going to be part of your remit or is it going to be uh, sort of dotted line?
2: Yeah. So labor communications, um, when I came to the company, I um, helped to stand up the labor communications function in the company. So that actually will be with Dominic. And so he will be the one to kind of lead the labor communications front going forward. My partnership with him will be more on the government affairs side and more on what I call the social impact side of that and community impact side of that work. Uh, we, we also, as you can appreciate labor relations cuts across a number of different um, structures within inside any company, whether it be your HR function, To your legal function to also your operations and retail function and so i will be a lot more of the of the what we call the mortar if you will for the bricks Mm -hmm. that are that are there in reference to it but obviously bringing my background and insights and knowledge on that as you know steve i have a background as a former labor organizer back in the day when i used to (laughs) live in iowa and the meatpacking industry but then more importantly obviously at a public policy level and writing laws um, if you will, in that space, and then more importantly, helping to advise companies. When I worked at a small firm, you might know called BCW on these issues um, too, as well. So we have heard I, of I, you know, We, we in- have
0: their <laughs> new CEO hopefully on the podcast in a couple of weeks. <laughs>
2: that's going to be great. And uh, <laughs> and you know he has a unique relationship with Starbucks too, as well. So yes, um, he does. So I think for that standpoint, yeah, that's how it's going to work. But really, in terms of the communications front of it, uh, Dominic will be the one um, to to kind of do that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, great to chat, AJ. And I think we're going to get some good input from you on uh, the stories we've got today. So look forward to hearing more about that. But first, you know, congrats on that new role and looking forward to seeing what you do with it. Good to see Dominic back and um, back up in seattle as well absolutely frank let's talk about uh, the state of diversity in pr we've had uh, another look at it at pr week we've uh, pulled out a bunch of case studies we've tried to pick out tips and tools and practical help and advice that people can use and take away to help their own diversity efforts because it does feel like there's you know, the, the the big focus of 2020 has kind of gradually waned, hasn't it? And it's important that it doesn't. So talk us through it.
1: Well, it's not only waned. I mean, there are a lot of um, important people out there who are outrightly opposed to diversity efforts nowadays. And um, so, you know, companies that believe in this need to push back and, and really um, dig their heels in and stand up for the issue uh, as well as what they are doing internally on it. Check out our feature today on uh, companies that have really thrived with their own DEI policies and it has a number of tips on how organizations can take some advice from them, whether that is uh, the importance of employee resource groups in building a diverse workforce or even how you make diversity a part of you know, everybody's responsibility, you no know, matter what, what color they are, what age they are, what religion they are, and, and really make inclusivity important. And uh, we have a number of really good case studies with this as part of our de Digest. We have a look at uh, Golan, for instance, which has grown its own BIPOC representation from 25% to 31% uh, since it's implemented some strategies. Um, it's terrific. And um, another great example from the agency side is Fenton, uh, whose workforce is uh, more than 75% women and 50 to 55% people of color. Uh, When it applies to their leadership, it's 66% women and 55% people of color. So um, there's some really good examples here uh, and some really good tips for organizations who are looking uh, looking to do better on this front.
0: Yeah. And we're not saying these are the only six places where good practice is happening we've chosen six to give different flavors different angles different policies and um your point about and xeno group for example took a minority stake in an agency that has that was their way of doing it and that partnership has worked out really well it's more than a partnership i think what you said there about it's everybody's job is really important it's right it really should be yeah it's not something that just stops a, a certain part of an organization
1: right right absolutely and um you know just in terms of how uh, employees across an organization approach inclusion and approach belonging um it, look this is going to be a really hot topic for the next 10 months um up until and through the election. So, um, you know, employees that care about this issue are are really going to have to take a stand on it in some ways.
0: Yeah, for sure. So do check it out. Um, AJ. Yes. What's your views? One on where we're at in terms of diversity in PR and two on some of the best top tips for people wanting to make sure that their organization is truly diverse and authentically diverse, because that's important.
2: I I think, and I'll pick up just right where you left off about authenticity. I I think when one approaches this conversation, it has to be one that's steeped in in authenticity. If it doesn't have that, then ultimately it doesn't matter how many task force, how many initiatives, how many um, position statements or paper statements you put out is not going to drive the outcome or the impact that you're seeking to be able to drive. So starting with authenticity is going to be key there. I think what I've seen in the PR industry is is kind of two things of, of note. One is there there is an opportunity to be able to get into the industry. I think where the industry is still lacking is truly how to actually nurture and grow the talent as it comes in. Um, and so what you find is what I call a kind of a, almost a barbell issue. You'll have a good amount of diversity at the very lower rungs a slim amount of diversity in the middle rungs, which is really key because that's where you pick up your management responsibilities. Is where you pick up your PL responsibilities. Where you pick up your experience in terms of truly being networked in ways that you can actually expand your remit and actually grow a business. Um, and then you have diversity is at the very top with people who have gotten that from some shape, form, or fashion. And oftentimes what you see for um, people, whether it's people of color or people from diverse backgrounds, is sometimes they have to leave various organizations in order to be able to pick those things up. And I think that's where the real opportunity in the PR industry it is, is, could be is how do you grow that internally and organically just as you would grow a client from, you know, the first time you pick them up in terms of being able to service them to be able to increase your remit with them. And you have that, that kind of like same intentionality and mindset. So I think that's there. I think on the corporate side, now I'll, I'll put to this, you know, one of the benefits I, you know, myself and so many others have at Starbucks is we have a chairwoman in the name of Melanie Hobson who has been the champion on diversity in many respects, whether it be in boardrooms or in corporate America. And, you know, her her reputation as issue is, is unchallenged. and. She's also the only African-American black uh, chairwoman, if you will, of Fortune 500 company. And so bringing governance into this conversation is something that I think is also important, whether you're in a firm, whether you're in a corporate structure or whether you're in a, um, a private uh, entity or even a nonprofit, because governance gives you something that the management structure can't give you, which is it gives you an authorizing environment to do this work. Because let's be clear, you're gonna come and you're gonna have challenges in this work, and you're gonna have to make decisions and trade-offs. The question is, how do you do that in a way that's in a governance model that allows you to keep your commitment to your employees and to the talent that you want to develop and grow?
0: Yeah, very true. Um, have you got any? Because you can't sort of build authenticity, can you? You can't manufacture it. It's it's sort of. Um, the, as the words um, suggest. So how do you, have you got one or two tips on how, how you can make sure that your your culture is authentic?
2: Yeah, yes. Yeah. So I would suggest, you know, kind of three things. One is this does kind of start a bit with, the, with, the, with your HR department in terms of turning your HR department to be a risk-taking entity versus mm-hmm. a de-risking entity. So what do I mean by this? Most HR departments, um, they are structured to de-risk, right? So they say, okay, the last person who was in said role had this background. So we're going to go and look for that exact same background in this role. And the reality is, for their perspective, that de-risk, if you will, any potential for that person to be successful or not be successful. The challenge, though, is if you're consistently... Um, pulling against the exact same background profile, your ability to diversify is going to be limited because you do need to take what I call risk in terms of looking at different types of backgrounds that can bring different types of viewpoints and perspectives to the table that can actually drive that position to be something different and, quite frankly, better than what it may have been in the past to meet the challenges of the day. And I think that's the key piece um, is where, when you're bringing diversity in, it is to truly meet the challenges of the day and not just simply because you believe that there needs to be an opportunity for diversity, but you are meeting your business obligation and challenges of the day. The second piece is truly putting this into a business structure. And I, I you know, I, I'm often amazed sometimes when DNI tends to be looked at as an excedent to the business versus then mm-hmm. the business itself. I mean, look, at Starbucks, that gives you an example, you know, just about 42% of our population identifies as BIPOC and LGBTQ. Um, so, you know, all to the purposes, D&I is our business. I mean, it's not, it's not something that we um, can speak to and say that this NXC you know, is, is something that's nice to do. This is our business and our growing consumer base, our growing, our growth, in multiple markets requires a, a varied perspective and a diverse perspective in order to addressed uh, address that market. And so diversity is our business. And I think it's key that companies, and from a directional standpoint, see it as their business, not something adjacent to or antecedent to their business. I think the last piece that comes about this is the dynamic around building it for the long term. Um, I I do think sometimes the the DNI structures or frameworks that companies may undertake, they're built for the moment, but might not necessarily be sustainable for the long term. And when you are bringing talent in or when you have talent there, they're looking for the long term investment. They want to stay with you, grow with you. They want to be the advocate um, for the brand and for the company for many years to come. And they want to grow alongside you with the journey. So to the extent to which you are building it for the long term and thinking about the way in which the frameworks and the structures are positioned that way is going to be key. So those will be the three off the top of my head. And that those three things build authenticity.
0: Yeah, that's great advice, AJ. Really good stuff. And visibility, I think, at senior levels is mm. really important Absolutely. so that people can see. Role models they can aspire to emulate. So, yeah, Absolutely. really good advice. And uh, thank you for that. And uh, do check out our diversity and PR content today. And we'll be doing a uh, hidden history infographic next week to mark Black History Month, where we'll yeah. look at the role models who maybe haven't got the um, awareness that yeah. uh, they yeah. should have done That's over the good. years and uh, the, the Black and uh, uh, Hispanic and uh, Asian American PR pros who really uh, blazed a trail going back. Tens of ten, you know, decades, and uh, it'll be one of our nice uh, family tree activations. So do check that out. Frank, lots of people moves as always uh, this week, but to pick out the most interesting ones for yeah, us. Yeah,
1: let's highlight some good ones. Um, Daniel Roberts is boomeranging back to Meta uh, to lead media strategy for complex issues, um, and Meta has a lot of complex issues. So that sounds like it's a a big and important job uh, at the social media holding company. That of course is the they in a Facebook, uh, WhatsApp, Instagram, and Threads now. Um, so he was most recently at General Motors. And I think this is a really interesting space to watch. Uh, and I mean, people moves within the auto industry. Uh, as you see, all of these stories about how after committing so heavily to the manufacturing of electric vehicles uh, over the past few years, a lot of the major automakers have had trouble uh, selling them and are pulling back on their targets. So interesting to see how that is going to affect the comms teams that work there. Um, What's his
0: job title, Frank?
1: public affairs lead on strategic communications response team okay cool yeah yeah another big one uh yum brands which is of course the parent of kfc and taco bell has named andrea whitney as its interim chief communications and impact officer Um, So Tracy Skeens had been overseeing the department since Allison Park left the company to join Walmart in July. Now, Park had a different title that was Chief Corporate Affairs Officer, um, but the responsibilities uh, are largely the same. Uh, Park had succeeded Geraldine Green, who stepped down uh, from Yum Brands in July 2022. Okay.
0: Always interesting to see the moves, especially in January, and it's always um, especially
1: in January. Yes, yeah,
0: absolutely. And let's not forget uh, pizza, wasn't it? Part of young brands. Talk us through. We, we always cover crises on the podcast, and uh, you know, every week another organizational or company or brand gets in trouble. This week, we've been looking at Kite Baby, which is um, a company. Maybe some people don't know. Mm-hmm. If they do now, talk us through that and how the CEO has had to apologise a couple of different times for this um, misstep.
1: Yeah, it's a really fascinating case study because it, it goes to show a, a few different things, I think. And number one, how you treat employees and your employee communications can very quickly become a public issue and can very uh, quickly become a crisis, as it did in this case. Um, after one of its employees um, was fired from uh, the Java Kite baby after requesting, requesting to work remotely. And the reason that she did so was because uh, her baby was admitted into a neonatal intensive care unit. Um, obviously, this uh, it became an issue on social media uh, after the person took to GoFundMe to ask for crowdsourced funds for to meet NICU costs. Um, and there was a bit of a backlash against Kite Baby on social media. So the CEO uh, posted uh, on social media an apology Uh, for how the company treated the employee, um, and talked about what they did, but it did, it did seem very scripted. Uh, and it did seem like, uh, she was reading right off of a page and, um, she was called out for that by users on TikTok. And so then she had to do a second apology, um, and this is the sort of thing that reminds me of um, you know when I was when I was first starting out, a, a uh, an editor of mine telling me that there's just absolutely nothing worse than having to run a correction for a correction. <laughs> and this is sort of you know what happens here, right? And so uh, the CEO of Kite Baby had then had to. Go out and do a second uh, apology on TikTok afterwards. Um, So look, there's a lot of lessons here. You know, it's number one how how employee communications can become public communications very quickly. Um, But also, if you're going to make a public statement on a social media network like TikTok, I mean, there's um, either there can be backlash very quickly, right?
0: Yeah, for sure. AJ, I mean, if you type Starbucks in a search engine on any day, you're going to have, I don't know, de- dozens of incidents around the world where, yeah. you know, there are certain elements of crisis involved, you know, where because you're so public facing, things happen in public spaces, you've got a yeah. unique relationship with the world. So how yeah. does, you know, what's your take on crisis response in the modern environment where, you know, a TikTok can be around the world in seconds?
2: Yeah, I mean I think um it first it requires kind of three things. One, your monitoring and um systems management in terms of that has to be global and has to be real time. And mm-hmm. I think for us, you know, that that is something that we as the brand becomes larger and much and much more visible in a lot of different spaces, you have to have that. The second piece is you have to have the what I call Um, a framework in terms of how you look, how you go at a crisis, because every crisis has its own unique particularities, but you need to have a framework across the organization to be able to pull the right information quickly, right? Because the last thing you need is something sparks up and it takes two or three hours to figure out, well, where is that information and how do we beat back against it or how we address it or how do we uh, engage on it? And you have to yeah. have that as a ready framework. And what I often find is, um, and I did this in my consulting days, is a lot of times it was unclear, for instance, if a cyber leak happened, what was the framework and who are the people involved with that versus then if a, say, for instance, if a personal injury issue happened that went uh, viral or whatnot, or if it was misinformation issue that happened on social media that you had to go out and to correct. And you got to have standing frameworks around that to be able to rapid response to that. Um, The latter piece, uh, too, as well, is being able to what we call forecast areas where there could be, quite frankly, confusion or misinformation that could be addressed to as well. So being very clear around the communication elements in terms of what you are trying to make sure that the listener is hearing, and then also how you pull that forward. Now, I I don't want to go through too many details, but when I was leading comms earlier, we used to have a framework called Frame, Scale, Scope, Impact, and Intent. And basically that was all around, how do you look at the audience? What do you need to communicate? Who's the communicator? And then how do we make sure that the impact was met and that our intention was fully pulled through to that communication? And then therefore you have a sense of rigor in terms of how you go about addressing crises. And you're right. As a, as a front facing company, uh, we get it all the time. It's everything. So I like to say to people, whatever is in the world, it finds its way into a Starbucks story. so we have to be thoughtful True. around those elements.
0: Yeah. Is there a section on how to get it past legal, AJ? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know,
2: it's and, and I got to tell you, you, you talk about, the, the, I know part of what we talked about is, you know, what's the future of PR? And I do think that there's two areas that communicators and PR professionals or those who hold the instruments of, of reputation have to be really good at now. One is understanding and navigating the legal, the legal environment and thicket that you're in in terms of whether you're communicating something that could be financially material down to whether you're communicating something that has some kind of legal exposure or risk to the company. The second piece is also understanding the flow and uptake of economic data, the extent to which people understand whether it's when the capital markets are releasing the the, the CPI number or when they're releasing the jobs number or whatnot. All those things have impacts and effects in terms of how you communicate, particularly if you are a retailer or if you are in a, um, in a space where consumer discretionary is part and parcel, or even B2B is part and parcel
0: to your business. Yeah. we have been getting a masterclass here, listeners, uh, from AJ on uh, so many different areas of PR. So (laughs) thank you for that. Um, Let's uh, wash up Davos. I mean, the, the two big takeaways I took from it were one, AI, AI, AI. Everywhere you looked down the promenade, everyone was touting AI in the conference center, People were talking about it, whether it's generative AI or the big beast AI applications that are going to change everything. So that was there, and you couldn't avoid it. And then the other thing was elections, where you've got 4 billion people going to the polls, potentially in 50 to 60 elections across 2024. But quite frankly, the one that everyone was talking about was the US election and what's going to happen there, because you've got the choice between, I guess, stability and disruption. And the disruptive option will have massive global implications. So those were what people were talking about at Davos. But uh, Frank Richard Edelman went on from Davos to London, didn't he, to do a Trust Barometer session. He uh, always launches the barometer at Davos and then does a sort of tour around. And he said some really interesting things, didn't he?
1: Yeah, he did, and he uh, touched on the conflict that's going on in Gaza. And his big advice uh, for brands and for companies was to is to stay out of politics. Um, and that's an interesting point of view, I think, because you know, really, absolutely anything at all uh, can be made into a political firestorm nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, AJ, I'm sure you you remember, you know, what happened with with you know Starbucks holiday season cups. You know, yeah. really, really innocuous mm-hmm. things can just become mm-hmm. uh, political hot button issues. For it's uh, no fault at all for the brand, and um, I, you know, brands need to be. Uh, very agile in how they respond to these things and how they, um, you know, respond to bad actors online for the most part. But anyway, back to what Richard Edelman said. Uh, So he is, uh, he's touring right now talking about the Trust Barometer. Um, And, you know, his agency is really, really, you know, a target of clean creatives and other activist groups. And we'll come back to this again in in a future topic. But uh, that have targeted the trust barometer this year uh, and uh, the way that the agency handles it. And, you know, he, he's addressing that and, um, you know, work with uh, energy companies and, and things of that nature as he's going around.
0: Yeah, he actually said to brands, stay out of politics, which I thought was quite a, quite a upfront statement. And he also talked about how they're less prepared to do the S in ESG, the sustainability part um aj you know edelman's one of your agencies i think but what yes. richard edelman is obviously a, a thought leader in the space he's, he runs the biggest pr firm in the world what he's the trust barometer is very well respected around the world and what he says carries a lot of weight what did what did you think of those comments and how do you approach that you know political polit, everything has become political so i don't know how you'd even define politics these days it's very difficult isn't it
2: yeah, I mean, I think, um, and you're exactly right. Um, Edelman is one of our agencies, and, and we've had the great pleasure of working with them for many years, and also uh, Richard and the Trust Barometer. And I think, uh, I you know, I would come at this probably a little bit differently. I, I think the the thing that brands have to think about today is yes, you want to think about your trust and how you have your trust with your your customers and your employees, and for us to be partners. But you also need to think about your brand affinity and also your brand equity, because to be fair, if you're going to be in a global space and you're going to be, a, you know, what I call a brand of recognition and a, a brand of respect, you're going to find yourselves in crosshairs no matter what. Right. And so the question is not so much how do you you know, not find yourself in crosshairs, those things are going to maybe come to you. Now, obviously, you have measures you can put in place to reduce or to be able to, you know, uh, buffet yourself from that. But ultimately, when you do hit a crisis, do you have the equity and the affinity so that when you do go to address it and when you do go to uh, speak to it, that your message carries through and that you're able to grow and be stronger from that. Like, I mean, ultimately, I think that is the other part to this question is how do brands navigate a space where, say for instance, in our company, we listen very directly to our partners. And if we have a strong following with our partners, which we do in reference to LGBTQ issues and rights, we are going to affirm our position on those issues. And that is not about politics. That's about representing the interests of our our employee base and our partner base. And so I think that is where, um, for us, the issue around authenticity and making sure that we are thoughtful around that is key. I think what maybe Richard was trying to say was, don't feel like you have to go out there and speak on every political issue at any given point in time because you're a brand that should do that or, or could do that. And there's some wisdom in that. Um, yeah, and I think, I
0: think he, he was also yeah. talking s- specifically about the situation in Israel and Palestine. Yes. Although it was slightly wider than that, but it was certainly in that context, should 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 mention that.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, those are things around that. But, but yeah, look, I, I think, to be fair, I think this year and the years going forward, this will be the navigation space now i think on sustainability or more importantly on issues of social um you know look i i I think we're in a world i mean the our as a company we believe very strongly in the idea of connection that is something that is there we have as a value belonging and joy and so we believe our social deposit is in that space and we think that other companies If they center themselves in those spaces, it allows them to be much more authentic to not only their customers, but also to their employee base. And that's where we found the greatest reservoir, if not only of trust, but quite frankly, of support and also of expectation. And so I think you'll see us continually lean into belonging, continuing to lean into joy. And the idea that um, we are going to position the brand against those elements is something that you're going to see a lot more from us.
0: Yeah, and it's certainly going to be an interesting year navigating everything that's going to happen in the US uh, um, in that context. But uh, we could do a whole other show on that. In fact, we probably have. But uh, let's finish up with uh, a related topic, Frank. Havas has B Corp status at the moment. First of all, maybe tell us what that is, but uh, it's it's become uh, a little at risk because of some of the things they've been doing.
1: Yeah, B Corp status is a uh, certification uh, that we have written about a few times, and it is difficult to get and difficult to um, continue to receive. You know, people always say that getting it is one thing and then maintaining it is, is as difficult, if not more difficult, than getting it in the first place. And the Havas network, which includes you know, media buying, creative, the the entire holding company as well as PR firms as part of the network uh, does have B Corp status. Okay, so that is uh, being investigated now, and that's under review because of Shell's media buying. Account, uh, which was awarded to Havas, which uh, which has been a controversial account, and frankly, any oil and gas account nowadays is going to be a controversial account for agencies. And I think agencies need to, you know, weigh whether losing B Corp status, for instance, is worth it, or you know whether they might lose business from other environmentally focused organizations is worth it, um, as well as how their employees feel.
0: Yeah, good point. And Havas is owned by Vivendi, which is an enormous media and uh, technical and um, cell phone conglomerate in Europe. So um, interesting story that and we'll see how that one plays out. All right. We could talk all day actually here. But uh, unfortunately, we've got to run the show to an end because we're out of time. But uh, AJ, it's been absolutely fantastic to chat to you. Really great um, advice, I think, for for our listeners and sincere good luck with uh, the new role at Starbucks. Thank
2: you, my friend. Appreciate it. And uh, also will pass on your congratulations to, to Dominic too as well. Yeah, We're just really absolutely. excited to have him. Make sure you find some time to bring him on the show too as well. He, he's going to be well, awesome we,
0: for us. we can't have too many Brits on the show, can we, AJ? I mean, come on. A <laughs> um, couple of housekeeping notes to end. PR Week Global Awards, they're in London on the 15th of May. You've got a little more time to enter, but not much. You need to get those in. Women of Distinction, you must get your submission's in for that. We are right up against the deadline. The PR Week Awards, the Oscars of PR, the 25th edition will be in New York City on the Looking 14th. forward to
2: being here. got my mom
0: yeah. coming Steve. Yes, you're <laughs> shortlisted. AJ is shortlisted, and uh, AJ's mom's going to be there, so looking forward to meeting her. Uh, that's on the 14th of March. Do join us and AJ there. It's going to be a fantastic night. The Healthcare Awards, think you might have a little chance if you contact the events team of getting a last minute entry into that and they'll be in new york in may with the conference and lots of other stuff coming down the pipe we've got the crisis conference in april in dc really looking forward to that one and lots of other convening opportunities but that's all we got time for we'll see you next time on the pr week